All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares some of our own winners in pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and I'm going on a new venture today, one that I mentioned on my previous episode, but I'm really excited to share with you all. I downloaded the Impact Plus app, and we're going to be looking at the early days of the weekly TNA pay-per-views, opposite Monday Night Raw for now. Um, We may change on that later, but I'm actually pretty keen to watch on 2002 Raw as well, as that was a really good year for me personally. But today we start at the very beginning Um, TNA's opening pay-per-view, June 19th, 2002. Jeff Jarrett and his dad, Jerry, had just started up a new company to be the alternate to WWE. WCW's been out of business about a year. And here we are. I don't know if all the listeners were watching wrestling in the early 2000s, but I was so keen to see TNA. Um, Over here in Australia, they actually put TNA on the same broadcast schedule as WWE pay-per-views, i.e. one a month, so one in every four approximately we got broadcast. Um, I only got to order a couple of them um, that year. There's a lot of issues with wrestling rights, and um, I did away with my pay TV for a short period of time and, and whatnot, so the ones that I did see, it'll be interesting to see if they pop back in the memory, because it will have legitimately been, what's that, 20 years, um, 19 years since I watched these shows and haven't gone back and rewatched them. Um, But something I've always wanted to do is actually go and watch the early portion of TNA, so I'm really keen for this one here. Now, obviously, with how desperate I was to watch some TNA and the fact that I signed up for, you know, $120 for a year's worth of Impact Plus literally just to do this, I no doubt jumped straight into TNA first, so we'll get to Monday Night Raw a little bit later. But for now, here is the inaugural TNA pay-per-view. starts out um, opening up shows us the stage which actually looks pretty cool and we see girls dancing in cages which would not fly in this day and age but back then was reasonably edgy Um, it is what it is I'll make no comment further on that Um, and we open up with Don West coming out who brings out Ed Ferrara I can't say I was too excited to see Ed Ferrara on commentary if you think back to Oklahoma in WCW and then they throw to Mike Tanay, who is giving um, the show a bit of a run, run, a rundown. Sorry, um, in actuality, as Jeff Jarrett has said on his My World podcast, he was buying time because, for whatever reason, they weren't ready to start the show. And they bring out a series of legends. So we get Harley Ray, Story Funk Jr., Jackie Fargo, Bullet Bob Armstrong, Corsica Joe, and Sarah Lee. And Bill Barons, who's an NWA bigwig at this point in time. Remember, TNA was a subsidiary of the NWA to begin with. And then, of course, we see the legendary Ricky Steamboat come out. He comes out and fires up the crowd, which I will splice a little bit of that in about here. You know, is this the Cauliflower Alley Club? Or Thank you, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, wrestling fans across the world that are going to be watching this pay-per-view tonight. 
That's right. It gives me great pleasure to stand in this squared circle and the many times that I was in this circle. And throughout my wrestling career would someday be a world champion. And it did happen. That memorable night with Ric Flair, the nature boy. That's what we're talking about. Chicago, 1989, and became an NWA world champion. You know something, ladies and gentlemen? This belt, of all the championships I've won and all these gentlemen that stand here with me, this belt means more to me and to them than any championship I've ever held in my life. The NWA championship. And that's coming from his heart. This belt to us, and in this business of wrestling, is like the Stanley Cup is to hockey players. It's like the Super Bowl to football players, the World Series to baseball players, winning Wimbledon for the tennis players. This is what this belt means to us in our sport. To be the NWA heavyweight champion is the ultimate goal. Let's us know that we're going to be crowning a new NWA champion tonight. For those of you that do listen to Jeff Jarrett's podcast, you might remember that Dan Severin was actually the NWA champion, and Jeff says he didn't have any interest in moving into a Severin versus Ken Shamrock fight. I personally think that was a big mistake. I think that would have been a great way to start off TNA um, with a UFC super fight, but that's just me. Jeff Jarrett comes out, and oh my God, what a theme song. brilliant. Ken Shamrock comes out, Scott Hall comes out, they're all staking their claim for the belt, and they basically all shit all over Bill Barron's, I think it was, that um, that made the match, which is the gauntlet for the gold. It's a battle royal where the last two men go into a pinfall contest for the title, and it's interesting that heels and babyfaces are all shitting all over the concept in the opening segment. I think if they had their time back, they might have done that a little differently. From there, we go backstage to Goldilocks, who, if you watched early TNA, you'll remember as being their um, backstage announcer. And she's with the psycho, um, she's with Puppet the Psycho Dwarf. So, again, I'll make no comment, 2002 was a different time, but they were throwing a lot of shit at the wall here. When we do get into the ring for our opening contest, it's actually not a bad one. It's AJ Styles, Low Key, and Jerry Lynn. What a fucking team, by the way. I am a huge Low Key mark, so this is going to come out during the early TNA episodes here. Um, I don't think we've actually seen Low Key on the podcast yet. I could be wrong, um, but when we get into some early Low Key, definitely expect to hear me mark out. And they're taking on the Flying Elvises. What a <laughs> trio that is. Um, so, Sonny Siaki, Jimmy Wang Yang, and Jorge Estrada. Um, interesting gimmick here in early TNA. The Elvises get the jump, and they are... Um, it's a hot six-man stack-up early. Um, we get 
uh, sorry, a hot, a hot six-man startup early stack up. They just all jumped on top of each other. I don't fucking know. <laughs> um, Jimmy Wang Yang hits a nice shining wizard. Jerry Lin with a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker for a two. Um, we get some high flying from them as well. Don West marks out pretty early. Big shoulder breaker and a Samoan drop from Sonny Siaki. Jorge Estrada hits a split-legged moonsault. We get some cool low-key kicks. And AJ reverse DD2 picks up a two. Jimmy Wang Yang flips out of a German suplex. No mercy all over there. Um, a brutal spin kick. And then it's a finisher fest. Everyone hits L1. Um, Loki hits AJ by mistake. And Jimmy Wang Yang um, hits a big moonsault for the 1-2-3. Um, really, really cool. This was an awesome match. Uh, corkscrew moonsault that was, by the way. Not just your garden variety. Um, I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more of these guys in the upcoming episodes. And we're going to love every minute of it. Part of what we don't love here is when we go to a <laughs> midget match. It's Tio versus um, Hollywood. Um, Tio is rocking some sick AJ um, AJ Air Jordan 11s. Um, those of you that are not up with a sneaker lingo, um, we get a slam from Hollywood in a clothesline, a top rope splash for a two. Um, Tio hits a Russian leg sweep and a Swanton bomb for the one, two, three, um, making quick work of um, Hollywood there. Don and Ed get in the ring and they announce a lingerie battle royal next week and they bring out several girls. The only one of which I really recognize is Francine and we get a cat fight, which again has not aged well in this day and age. Um, from there, we go to Mortimer Plumtree. Goldilocks is with Mortimer Plumtree and he talks about his tag team, the Johnsons. <laughs> this will be... Interesting here as well to see how this one fares. Um, if you've not seen the Johnsons, I suggest you Google them and have a look pretty soon. Hopefully you're back from Googling them because they're about to get into the ring and it's the Johnsons. Yes, Rod and Richard. Um, I'm assuming you guys are picking up what they're putting down here. Taking on James Storm and Psychosis. What a tandem that is, by the way. James Storm and Psychosis are two people I never would have guessed tagged up if I hadn't gone back and watched this. We get from um, one of the dicks um, a double underhook and <laughs> a snap suplex for a two. Psychosis hits a nice spin kick and James Storm misses a drop kick. The dicks do a double flapjack. <laughs> um, we get a four-man brawl. Um, and then we get one of the dicks hits a TKO. And then... I'm sorry, a TKO off a Mortimer Plumtree distraction for the one, two, three. And... Um, the referee then goes and pays a girl, Alicia. They sort of... It's one of those things where they, like, mention it, but they don't really explain it. I'm not sure what's going on with this one, but that'll be an interesting angle to follow up. What probably won't be interesting is when we go backstage and meet the Dups. Uh, <laughs> the less said about this, the better. If you haven't seen the Dups, this is one thing I don't recommend from early TNA. Um, it's bowed up and stand up. <laughs> yep, stand up. Um, and they're cousin who's also one of their girlfriends i actually can't remember her name i didn't note it down um i think it's like fluffed up or something like that i could be wrong on that though so wait till the next episode and i will clarify all the dubs names um and which one's dating who from here we go to a bit of an unusual segment it's jeremy borash in the ring with sterling marlin and hermie sadler from nascar and then ron killings comes out um to basically tell them that NASCAR athletes, they're not real athletes. Um, I'll splice a little bit of this in here for you to try and sort of give some context of what I'm saying. By the way, Ron Killings is still cake rush here also. Damn. 
Interruption from that's K Crush. You know what? I am sick to my stomach. I'm sick and tired of hearing about some damn race car driver. Thank you, K Crush. This is professional wrestling. You guys call yourself athletes? You got no damn business inside a professional wrestling ring. Sterling, you see that? Look at that. He's a suck up. I am an athlete. You're looking at an athlete. My kind are athletes. Your kind drive a car around a circle in a left motion continuously. Whoa. My kind, we throw basketballs, we throw touchdowns, we run for touchdowns, we do arm drops, we do and this eventuates with Grandmaster Sexay coming out to make the save. Um, it just came across a little awkward in Nashville, a black guy coming out to belittle two southern white guys and being saved by another southern white guy. Um, just not, I won't say it was racist, but it felt a little uneasy if you get what I'm putting down. Um, we'll see next week. Um, sorry. They'll be here next week um, to settle this. And then we go backstage to Jeff Jarrett, who throttles Jackie Fargo in what was a pretty comical part of the show, to be perfectly honest. I feel like the, I'm sort of like um, giggling through this whole rundown because the whole thing like just had some really great comedy and some really awful stuff mixed with some awesome wrestling. So it makes for a good show. I'm not sure you could stomach this every week if they don't get the balance right. Um, but there's some bloody good stuff mixed amongst this. From there, we go to our next contest, which is Christian York and Joey Matthews taking on the Dups, Stan and Bo, as I mentioned earlier. The Dups get a jump early. Um, we get a flapjack from Bo. Um, Christian York and Joey Matthews come back with a double suplex before we get a boot and a splash from Bo, a Christian York elbow and a senton. Joey Mercury hits the Cactus Jack crossbody, so over the top rope. Um, before Fluff, I did write it down, Fluffed up, crotches <laughs> Christian York, and this allows the Dubs to pick up the 1-2-3. Forget about next episode, we have Stan Bow and Fluff the Dubs. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Jeremy Borash then brings out Toby Keith, who sings his song. Um, this is... Um, post 9-11, so it's one of his, his big hits. Um, it's basically an America anthem. For those of you that aren't familiar, you can go and check it out. I can't remember what the the um, the name of the track is off the top of my head, but he sings it over the top of the lyrics on the mic, which is a little bit strange. Um, Jeff Jarrett comes out and shoves him and walks past, and then NW Security, which looks a lot like Jericho Security, comes out to break this all up. From there, we're going to our gauntlet for the gold, which, as I mentioned earlier, is a battle royal, but it's more Royal Rumble style, so every 90 seconds, someone comes out, <clears throat> and it's elimination up until the last two, so a bit of an amalgamation of a few different matches here. It actually sounds like a great idea, and could possibly be, like, their Royal Rumble, if it was, like, to determine the number one contender, but to make a new champion, it does come across a bit hokey that you can be eliminated over the top rope, um... Just my opinion. They could have, you know, I, I think this concept had some legs, but what maybe wasn't right for the inauguration of the first champion in the TNA era. It's Jeff Jarrett versus Buff Bagwell first out. 
Buffett's a nice neck breaker, a clothesline, and his blockbuster, but Jeff Jarrett fights back to eliminate him before seeing the next entrant of Lash LaRue. They brawl on the outside before Jarrett hits a stroke and dumps him out of the match as well, and out comes Norman Smiley. He hits a nice slam, but Jeff Jarrett comes back with a low blow and the stroke and puts him out. Jeff Jarrett cleaning house early before we see Apollo come out. Apollo was someone that, again, Jarrett mentions on his podcast and had high hopes for. He hits a sky high and a clothesline and stops the elimination fest as K-Crush comes out and saves Jarrett from being eliminated himself. He hits a nice scissor kick before the next entrant comes in at Slash with James Mitchell. Apollo fights him off and Del Rios comes out. Now, if you've never seen or heard of Del Rios, as I hadn't before watching this, he's basically a slightly smaller version of Scott Steiner. And I mean blonde hair, two-tone goatee, um, Superman shorts. He is a guy cosplaying as Scott Steiner, who is slightly less big, as like slightly slightly less big, slightly smaller than Scott Steiner. I'm surprised they could get away with this blatant gimmick infringement. Um, to which Ed Ferrara makes a bit of a joke about it as well, so it's not like they were hiding it. And he hits a belly-to-belly suplex, because of course, if you're playing Scott Steiner, that's what you'd do. We then see Justice come out. This is Chris Park, pre-Abyss gimmick. The ring starts to fill up, before Conan comes and cleans house with rolling lariats. Gertner comes in and introduces Bruce with Lenny, and I'll splice this one in here. stud muffin in his own mind. I chase anything in a skirt and I get right up in that dress. I'm going to be with five girls in Huntsville because I don't settle for less. I'm going to tear up the hotel room and make the bed sheets a mess. But first, I got some business with the Rainbow Express. So while all you girls are thinking about drinking a jug of joy juice, let me introduce And all you clowns, get your asses ready for the man they call Bruce. From the Rainbow Express, there they are. I was a big Joel Gertner fan in ECW. His sexual entendres um, were always, you know, they made me laugh when I was young, I'll be perfectly honest. But I'm not sure putting him with the blatantly gay gimmick um, is the twist on that that I was looking for. Rick Steiner comes out to a huge pop, and I think they missed a trick here. He should have come and just beat the shit out of Del Rios, but that's not the route they go. Um, He suplexes Slash out of the ring and clotheslines Justice out. Malice comes out next, and he hits chokeslams all around before eliminating Bruce. K-Rush and Del Rios end up both leaving the match. Conan hits the softest ever bump to the floor, um, slides off the apron like I would get out of bed in the morning. Um, He sends Rick Steiner out. Um, We get the the diesel spot here where he's, um, Malice is basically just cleaning house and getting rid of everyone. Scott Hall comes in, um, and we've got Scott Hall, Jeff Jarrett, Malice, and Apollo, the four men in the ring, before Toby Keith comes in and vertical suplexes Jeff Jarrett and, with Scott Hall, tosses him out of the match. Chris Harris comes in and hits a nice Thez press, followed by Gangrel, a.k.a. the Vampire Warrior here. Devin Storm's out next as Scott Hall takes a bit of a rest. Steve Carino comes, and we've got the ring filling up again. Ken Shamrock comes in, and then Grandmaster Sexay, before being told we've got no number 20, I think. Grandmaster Sexay tosses out um, 
tosses someone out. I can't read my own writing. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Storm and Gangrel um, both go pretty quick here. Um, he gets rid of Carino. Grandmaster Sexa has eliminated four straight people, which is a little bit interesting. Ken Shamrock finally gets rid of him. And the final four for the matchup are Ken Shamrock, Scott Hall, Malice, and Apollo. Malice backdrops Apollo out and then does the same to Scott Hall. So it's Ken Shamrock versus Malice to end the match. And Ricky Steamboat comes out to special guest referee the last portion. That's probably um, something that wasn't needed as well. I don't think a guest referee should come out at the end of a Battle Royal segment while the guys are in the ring, but just me. Um, Malice is a side slam for a two and a suplex for a two. Ken Shamrock reverses into an arm breaker before the ropes are grabbed. He gets an ankle lock, but Malice grabs the ropes. We get a let's go Shamrock. And he hits a uh, chant from the crowd, sorry. And he hits a belly-to-belly -belly suplex for the three. Um, I was surprised to see him pick up the pinfall as opposed to the ankle lock. And just off a, a plain belly-to-belly. -belly, I know that was a Shamrock special in WWE, but still. Um, Ed Ferrara... Um, says picking a fight with Ken Shamrock is like running in the Special Olympics. Um, even if you win, you've got to be retarded, which is another comment that definitely hasn't aged well. Jeff Jarrett comes back out um, and ducks the legends before, um, sorry, decks the legends before Jackie Fargo tells us that we'll see Scott Hall and Jeff Jarrett next week and they brawl to close the show. And this is where I, I think they let themselves down on the first episode here. We needed to end the show with Ken Shamrock victorious, not immediately take all the focus off of his title win. We had this big 20-man match to crown the champion, and within 10 seconds or so, we were straight on to the next thing. So I know they're going to sell next week's pay-per-view and want to end on a cliffhanger, but I feel like they could have had that brawl and that announcement then, like, while Shamrock and Malice got a rest and Ricky Steamboat can come out, announce that, you know, with Fargo, can announce that they're going to, wrestle next week and now it's time to get the the championship decided i don't know it feels like that was something that took me about 10 seconds to think of a better way to do it that doesn't overshadow shamrock's victory but that's tna um i really enjoyed this show overall it was hectic a mile a minute but i've got to take a few things into account they're trying to launch an alternative and they don't just want to be a retread and a lot of guys aren't available after signing with wwe after the invasion if you think about all the guys that went across during the invasion and then since then were 2002, so they've signed Hogan and Nash. They've had Hall in and out while he's on this show. Um, but they've picked up a lot of guys since then. This will be right around the time they're bringing in Rey Mysterio, for example. There's not too many... There's not the whole WCW roster available for them to cherry-pick, basically. Um, they'll have, no, they won't have Goldberg at this point, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, the roster, they've got a get some name value in so people buy the show, which is where your Shamrock, your Scott Hall, your Jeff Jarrett, etc., comes into that. But they've also got to introduce you to new characters, and doing that on pay-per-view in a way that doesn't make you not order next week must have been a tough balance. So I do applaud them for the way they tried to mix and match known names um, with new guys, and also highlighted a lot of the hot indie stars at the time. Think your AJ Styles, your Low Keys, etc. So overall, really enjoyed this. Um, definitely excited to go back and watch episode two and see how the sort of the first month or so fares and bring you all along on the journey of course that does it for tna and today for halftime we are going to do something a little bit different and we are going to discuss um one of my more recent favorite wrestling pickups 
Now, for most of you listening, you've probably heard of this already and won't be new to you guys, but I finished reading it a little while back and never actually discussed it on the show. My good friend Mark in Ireland sent me his copy of The Nitro Book by Guy Evans. Um, if you, certainly, if you listen to Eric Bischoff's podcast, you'll have heard all about this a thousand times over. Um, so much so that I almost like didn't want to read it because of how heavy he pushed it. But when I got it, I realized it is a really good book and I was just being stupid because Bischoff was annoying me with his ranting. Um, really good breakdown of the final days of W. CW, um, all the corporate stuff that you just get the odd bit here and there. I know if you listen to Bischoff's podcast, particularly in the early days, he'd drop a name and you're like, I don't really know who that is. It's not relevant to me. And this goes through a lot of why WCW fell apart and how in the grand scheme of things, it was just a little subsidiary and a huge company merger. And as much as it devastated all of us wrestling fans and made an impact on the business that still felt 20 odd years later, it just was a ripple to the guys involved. Like they just genuinely didn't really give a shit about it. And it was just like scrubbing an expense off the books. Um, really, really fascinating take and definitely well worth a read. I enjoyed chewing through it when I, when I got my hands on it and would recommend if you haven't read it, go out of your way to do so. It is a really good read. Now, after all that being said, we're going to head back to the show and check out what Monday night raw has to offer in 2002. Monday Night Raw actually starts with a recap of the end of Shawn Michaels and the NWO kicking Booker T out of the group. Yes, if you were watching Raw in 2002, Booker T briefly joined the NWO. Um, actually, I've skipped a step ahead of myself. I should let you all know, of course, this is a June 17th episode of Raw, um, which is two days before the TNA pay-per-view, which I thought was the closest. So we're going to go with that timeline now. And as you may have heard, as we opened, we opened with the classic My Generation theme, possibly the best Raw theme of all time. Really enjoyed that one. It is the week of King of the Ring, and we're going to see Brock Lesnar versus Booker T in a King of the Ring qualifier. Um, and RVD um, will be in one against, I'm trying to think who is meant to be in one, X-Pac um, versus RVD in a King of the Ring qualifier. And we're going to talk about Stone Cold Steve Austin famously walking out, as you may all remember. When the show gets started, of course, we're coming from Oakland, California, and the commentary team is JR and Jerry the King Lawler. It's RVD versus X-Pac up first in the first King of the Ring qualifier. We get some nice chain wrestling and a spin kick from RVD. The crowd is very hot here. A monkey flip and an acai moonsault from RVD, and then a powerbomb from X-Pac and a spin kick for a two. We get a somersault plancher from X-Pac, but then he misses a, um, back, uh, misses a Bronco Buster, and RVD hits a rolling thunder for a two. RVD is sent to the floor, but Booker T comes out and hits the bookend on X-Pac while the referee is distracted. This allows RVD to pick up the five-star frog splash for the one, two, three in a quick but entertaining opening contest. They then show parts of the confidential hit piece on Stone Cold Steve Austin teasing that show. Um, we are in the Mean Gene Oakland confidential era of WWE, and we see X-Pac fuming as we come back from the commercial break. Vince McMahon comes out, and I will splice a little bit of his promo in here. In my mind, 
Austin owes an apology for walking out to every superstar in that locker room. Austin owes an apology to the company he helped build. Austin owes an apology to each and every one of you for walking out on you. I don't know if Austin's ever gonna come back to action or not. Tell JR that the fans want him back. Last Monday, Austin was in town. He was scheduled to be on Raw, as I said. Any number of us attempted to speak to him on his cell phone. He refused to take our calls until finally, after repeated attempts, Austin took one call. That was from that man right there. Austin's friend, Jim Ross. JR pleaded with Austin, since you're in town, don't walk, simply just come to the arena, sit down and discuss your grievances as a man. Austin didn't do that. JR's plea fell on deaf ears. And quite frankly, Austin's actions, both personally and professionally, are certainly uncharacteristic of the man we all know. Obviously, this is a, a carrying on with the um, the burying of Stone Cold for walking out. Um, but one thing I did find particularly amusing in there is he's struggling with the name change. Um, right here in World Wrestling Entertainment, just doesn't quite sound right, does it? They'll pretty quickly revert to just saying WWE. Um, Vince might call the crowd unprofessional. I might call Austin unprofessional, but the crowd are clearly with him. They want him. Um, and then Vince ends the segment by thanking Austin and leaving a single beer open in the ring. From there, we really date ourselves for 2002. We go to our next contest, and it's Jeff Hardy versus Raven. Undertaker comes out on the ramp to watch. He's in a little mini feud with the Hardys at this point in time. Hardy and Raven with a bit of a slap fest, and they brawl along the outside. Um, we get a rail leg sweep from Raven and then a knee lift for a two count. Jeff Hardy comes back with a jawbreaker and a mule kick followed by a spinning heel kick, blocks a superplex and hits a swanton bomb for the one, two, three as we go out to commercial. When we come back, Booker T is with Gold Dust as the Duke of Gold, um, bad teeth and all and a haircut like the Beatles. He very early pronounces King Booker, which doesn't take shape in 2002, spoiler alert, but may do a little bit later on. Um, if you never watched WWE in 2002, I would suggest at least going on YouTube and just typing in Booker T Gold Dust and watching all their segments. I'm going to splice this one in for you here to give you a taste, but definitely worth going back and watching their interactions. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I got it. I say, I'll Bloody good show, Governor. What a bloody good show. Man, what the hell are you supposed to be now? Well, I'm the Duke of Gold, of course. Ready to serve in your royal court. Would you like a spot of porridge? No, I want no porridge, man. Why? But look, I'm down with King of the Ring and all that. Getting that title shot at SummerSlam. But I ain't won Jack yet. Perhaps. But I seem to have a good track record at predictions. 
lest you remember of my warning in Shawn Michaels last week. Shawn Michaels, huh? Mm-hmm. See, that sucker, he thought I was going upstage the NWO. Well, guess what? He's right. See, my star shines brighter than all them suckers put together. Now, can you dig that? Indeed, Booker. Well, let's not get all sticky wicked here. There's still the matter of tonight. And the NWO wanting, desiring to get revenge from your earlier antics. Look, man, I did what I had to do. You dig? I dig. I dig indeed. Yes, I do. Very much so. But, dig this, Booker. If the NWO gets involved, that would mean Brock Lesnar would be DQ'd. And you would take one step closer to becoming King Booker. King Booker. King Booker. Give me that, dog. King Booker. I like the sound of that. You know what? As my first raw act, I hereby decree Brock Lesnar's gonna get his ass whooped all over the place by the five-time WCW champion that can't stop thinking that sucker. <laughs> Indeed I do, Booker, yeah. The hell? After that, we go to Chris Nowinski with William Regal taking on Spike Dudley, again 2002's finest. A brawl along the outside as Chris undresses, he comes out in formal wear and slowly takes it off. This will obviously change going forward because it's a big time waster. He hits a backbreaker and a clothesline before Spike hits his top rope double feet stomp, which is quite cool. But Regal distracts um, Spike and allows Nowinski to pick up a full Nelson drop for the 1-2-3. And the heels start kicking the shit out of Spike before Bradshaw comes out for the save. Next up, we bring Ric Flair down to the ring. He comes down and talks about the fact that he lost his ownership, so it was a winner-takes-all. Um, I can't remember if it was Ric Flair versus Vince. At this time, Flair owned Raw and Vince owned SmackDown. Or if they had um, two guys battle it out, I can't quite remember. Um, But Flair tells us he signed up to be a wrestler again, and he's got one more good run in him. This is 2002, I'll remind everyone. (laughs) Cuts a promo on Brock Lesnar, um, who cost him his match. It must have been Flair versus Vince. And then Austin's music plays. The crowd pops like crazy, but... Out walks Latino Heat. He holds Ric Flair responsible for costing him the biggest match of his career. Chris Benoit comes out to defend Ric Flair. This segment gets a little bit lengthy here. Flair and Eddie Guerrero, um, he challenges him at King of the Ring. And then Benoit turns on Ric Flair. It seemed unnecessary to come out and defend him first. Ric Flair um, socks Guerrero. And we get a two-on-one before Guerrero locks a figure four on. um, And they beat down Flair to end the segment. Backstage, Chris Nowinski goes to introduce himself to Vince McMahon, uh, but he says he's on the phone to Tony Guerrilla, who's his eyes at the airport, and Vince is getting some tough cell signal here, and all he heard is he's on his way, so he's got to assume that's Stone Cold Steve Austin. From there, we go to a mixed tag match. It's Trish and D'Lo Brown taking on Crash and Molly Holly. Um, This is a pretty shitty angle where Trish is basically telling Molly she's got a fat ass. Um, This was the type of stuff they did with the girls back in the day, and it's pretty poor. D'Lo, on the other hand, has got himself into some really good shape here. He hits a flapjack and a leg drop for a two. Um, Trish Stratus hits a clothesline and a drop kick before Molly Holly hits a backbreaker. D'Lo hits a black hole slam before Molly Holly makes a save. And then he hits a sky high on Crash for the one, two, three. But Molly Holly dumps Trish on her face to the announce table after the bell in a pretty sick-looking bump. 
um, to continue the, the feud between the two of them. Speaking of the women of the time, we head over to Lita, who is at The World, a.k.a. WWE New York, or WWF New York, sorry it was. Um, and she's just, you know, chatting it up with the crowd. She's out with her neck injury at the moment. Vince McMahon um, is backstage again, and Jackie Gator walks in. Um, they talk about Divas Undressed next week. It's your typical Vince sleezing all over one of the new girls segment. Um, you've seen it a million times. Before we go to a non-title matchup, the undisputed champion, The Undertaker, taking on Matt Hardy. Matt hits a low blow right from the off before Taker comes back with a clothesline and his cool apron leg drop he started doing in this era. Matt hits a DDT for a two and Jeff comes out. Um, They double team on The Undertaker before Raven comes out and makes the stop. I'm not sure if the referee bumped here or if this was uh, no DQ. Um, My memory's fading on this one. Sorry, I have, um, just as as a side note, we... um, going to be moving house very soon and we packed up all the house to have the professional photos done and my notes and my computer and all my recording equipment got packed away and it took me a good week or two to find them all again so um, I'm a little bit behind on this which is why I haven't watched any more shows so I could stop the delay and catch back up but um yeah so be it um Raven cuffs Jeff Hardy to the top rope um Undertaker just before that hits a last ride and picks up the three count um Undertaker hits a just starts to beat down on um, on Matt while Jeff's cuffed watching. Raven's holding um, Matt for a while, and we go to a commercial. When we come back, Undertaker tells Triple H he should watch. Um, they're going to be facing each other at the King of the Ring for the title. Vince McMahon's having more phone issues with Tony Gurria. Um, Paul Heyman's trying to talk to Earl Hebner because he's worried about outside interference in Brock's match with Booker T after Booker cost X-Park his match. Earl's having none of it and understands fully what Paul's trying to do. Booker T um, comes in and says he's going to beat him and he doesn't need any outside interference. Um, And then we get an ad, get the F out, if you remember those ones from back in the day. It's now time for our next King of the Ring qualifier, Brock Lesnar taking on Booker T. The NWO come out right away, and Nash and Michaels join commentary and just basically start stealing all JR's catchphrases. We get some shoulder blocks from Brock Lesnar and a belly-to-belly. Goldust comes out to even up the odds a little bit. A Booker T clothesline and a Brock power slam for a two. Booker T hits the axe kick and a scissor kick before showing off with a spinner rooney. And then X-Park and the Big Show jump on the apron before Booker T knocks them both down, but walks into the F5 for the 1-2-3, and Brock is advancing to the king of the ring. Big Show then chokeslams Goldust and Booker T, and we go backstage, and Sergeant Slaughter tells Vince McMahon, Tony Greer is here as we go to a commercial break. Vince McMahon comes out, and then as he's waiting for Stone Cold, it's not Stone Cold, but Tony Gurria comes out to let him know that the person he was talking about wasn't Stone Cold Steve Austin. Vince ponders who it could be, and if you smell, The Rock comes out to a humongous pop. He cuts a promo, kicks Vince out the ring, says all the guys that want to be here are here. Um, Stone Cold's taken his ball and gone home, which is a bit rich considering The Rock's not been around. When is this? June 2002. Um, what were we? WrestleMania 18 was gone pretty quickly after that. Um, yeah, and he's he missed a big chunk of the year before, so a bit harsh, really, using The Rock as the one to bag on Austin, but definitely a great replacement for him as far as the crowd goes. Um, he says he's going to be at the King of the Ring. I'll splice parts of this in here so you can all listen to it. The he you kept talking about is not Stone Cold. Then who the hell is the he you were talking about? Who is 
down that ramp. No, no, no. It was a living full Brahma bull. Jabroni eating, pie beating, eating. The Rock says he's walking fast, whooping ass. People chant The Rock. Jabroni beating, pie eating, Rock. That's him. Five years ago, when The Rock first walked into this company, he had one idea, one idea, and that idea was really simple, and that was just to become the absolute best this industry has ever seen. And I will continue to work my ass off to make sure that happens. Because you see, The Rock says this, that's the very same passion, that very same fire that I have in my eyes is the very same fire that I see every time I walk in the back of that locker room. Every single time I walk into a raw locker room, every single time I step into a SmackDown locker room, all those guys are here because they want to be here. That's right. Everyone on SmackDown, all those guys on SmackDown, they are there because they want to be there. They get in this ring, they bust their ass, you love them for that, and they do it because they love to do it. Yeah. Well, love it. So The Rock says this, if there's anybody in the back, I swear to God, I honestly mean this, if there's anybody in the back that does not want to be with this company, if there's anyone in SmackDown that does not want to be with this company, then just like the slogan says, you get the F out. A highlight of that segment, of course, for me was Jerry Lawler going, we thought we were going to get the rattlesnake, but who cares? We got The Rock. Um... I understand fully why they brought The Rock back here. Um, they've just lost their biggest star and they're replacing him with the other biggest star. But they probably didn't need to be quite so dickish to Austin. And truth be told, that's probably why it took so long for him to return their calls and come back. They pissed him off pretty badly, which is just not good business sense. Anywho, that will do it for Raw. And who would have thought the first episode of TNA was going to go up against the return of The Rock, the NWO, Brock Lesnar, and The Undertaker beating the shit out of the Hardys. What, what a um, time to be a wrestling fan it was in 2002. But as usual, we're going to go through our scores and pick ourselves a winner. Crowd heat, I've got to go with Raw. It was in a much bigger arena and the pop for The Rock, even the pop, that albeit short and unnecessary for Austin supposedly coming back were huge so Raw gets the duke there characters you've also got to go with Raw because TNA whilst it had some big names and I do applaud them for who they were able to bring in uh, in the early days 
Raw's got nothing but superstars, and what a roster as well. The NWO, um, Booker T, The Rock, Brock Lesnar, The Hardys, The Undertaker. And we didn't even see Triple H on the show. Um, Vince McMahon, Ric Flair, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit. This was a um, this was a big, big roster here, and 2000, 2002 might actually be the best roster they ever had. Um, shame that the product went downhill and the interest dropped away because they had one hell of a roster. As far as storylines, I'm also going to go with Raw. Um, <clears throat> TNA was disadvantaged because they were starting from day one, so I'm not knocking them for that, but Raw was continuing and building a lot of storylines heading into the King of the Ring pay-per-view. Production values obviously got to go with Raw, um, been around a lot longer, and TNA weren't ready to actually start their show and had to stall. Instead of opening with a hot match, they opened with Jackie Farco chatting on the mic, so um, not the best start for them. But again, like their stage was cool, their entrance, their arena, I'm not knocking them. Raw's just got a, you know, 50-year head start here. <laughs> Lastly, I'm going to go match quality, and this one... It's a tough one to call because the matches on Raw were okay, um, but I'm probably going to lean towards TNA for that X Division six-man tag. Um, their matches weren't great, but Raw didn't have anything that were especially good either. Um, and I feel like a, a clean sweep 5-0 is a little bit unfair because I really did enjoy both shows and TNA get, had a lot of value. Um, so I'm going to give them the slight edge in match quality. But again, I say that the other wins pretty much went to Raw because they're an established product carrying on, whereas TNA was figuring it shit out live on pay-per-view. So it is what it is. I'm interested to see going forward how much closer they can drive this agenda and if they can get closer to Raw. That will do it for this episode, though. Thanks all for your patience again. Um, every time I think I'm going to get a roll on with the podcast, something comes up and stops me. But we are getting that one or two shows a month at a minimum, so I'm glad everybody is checking those out and listening. As always, if you haven't done yet, get in touch with the show, reach out, chat. Like if you've got notes or suggestions or anything you want read on the air, I'm always looking for a bit more content and some more contributors. So please do get in touch on Twitter or shoot me an email. Otherwise, thanks everyone for listening and I will be back in touch with you all very, very soon.